into a conversation with you about the importance of, of embracing your identity in Christ. Now, that's a phrase that's been overused. It's become kind of cliche. I want us to set aside the cliche and understand something. When you became a follower of Jesus Christ, you became a new person. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But when you became a new person, you became a new identity. Your identity is no longer your old identity before knowing Christ. It is your new identity because you have been transformed into Christ's likeness. We're going to talk about that during our time together. Before we climb into that space, I just want to um, share with you something that will kind of help us move in that direction. Charles Lowry is a Christian counselor and comedian, and he once said these words. Take a cantaloupe, a cantaloupe seed. Cantaloupe seed goes into the ground, what's it going to be? Going to be a cantaloupe. Watermelon seed goes into the ground, what's it going to be? Going to be a watermelon. That cantaloupe seed can say this. I don't want to be a cantaloupe. This is America. I can be anything I want to be. I'm going to be a watermelon. That cantaloupe seed can get some of those Robert Schuller tapes and play it over and over again. Possibility watermelon. Possibility watermelon. Possibility watermelon. It can get some of those Zig Ziglar tapes. Positively watermelon. Positively watermelon. Positively watermelon. Get some of those Rick Warren tapes. Purpose-driven watermelon. Purpose-driven watermelon. Purpose-driven watermelon. Get some of those Joel Olstein tapes. Highly anointed, favored, blessed watermelon. Highly anointed, favored, blessed watermelon. Get some of those Stephen Covey tapes. Learn the seven highly effective habits of a watermelon. Seven highly effective habits of a watermelon. Get some of those subliminal subterrestrial tapes and play watermelon thoughts to that cantaloupe as it sleeps at night. Watermelon thoughts. Watermelon thoughts. Watermelon thoughts. Get some of those new age hotbed gurus. Let them drum up some 400-year-old age guru. Let him sit bow-legged naked, hold a crystal, and hum watermelon, hum watermelon, hum watermelon, hum watermelon thoughts. Go to a Tony Robbins seminar and walk on fire proving you're worthy of being a watermelon. Go to a psychiatrist to find out about your inner self. Maybe your inner self was once a watermelon. You can do all that. When the cantaloupe seed comes out of the ground, what's it going to be? It's going to be a cantaloupe. It's going to be a sorry, no good, dysfunctional cantaloupe after all you've done to it. But it's going to be a cantaloupe. And why is that? Because God made it a cantaloupe. Folks, when you came to Christ, you were remade. You were not what you once were. I wonder if some of y'all have journeyed down the same path I've journeyed down. I was radically transformed by Jesus at a moment in time. In a dorm room at Moorhead State University, alone, the Holy Spirit just invaded that space and did something that I can't explain. In that moment, I was transformed. I was not the man I once was. It was a total transformation of my life. I look back and I realize now why that's true, because what God tells us about what He's going to do in our lives when we become Christians is this, is Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. When you became a believer, if you were truly saved, your character was literally recreated. But here's the deal. I found myself in time reverting back to the person I once was. I struggled with the same sins. I struggled with the same heartache, the same hurt. I still tr I treated people like I had before knowing Christ. I thought about them in my mind like I had before knowing Christ. Suddenly, I had these two personalities. I was a spiritual schizophrenic. And I know a lot of people who I believe are spiritual schizophrenics. Why do we wrestle, we asked ourselves. 
Some of, our, some of us have asked the questions, God, did you leave me? Was I ever really saved? Was I ever truly adopted by God? I know he doesn't adopt us and throw us out into the street, so what's the deal? Why am I wrestling with my pre-Jesus self? You see, the problem is you received a new identity, but nobody told you. Somebody needs to tell us. And so the enemy continues to whisper phrases and terms in your mind that lead you to believe you are what you once were. You still hear terms like loser or liar or sex addict or homewrecker or druggie or alcoholic or useless or insecure. The list could go on and on. Today I want to give you some terms that will help establish in your mind and in your heart the new person that you are. See, terms do make a difference. They do make a difference. The record that's playing in your mind will become who you are. If your record is the kinds of phrases that I just shared with you, you will be that person. You see, that's why God gave us His Word, so we could realize who we are in Christ. He wants us to know who we are as we're new in Christ. You say, well, is there an example of this in the Bible? There are lots of examples in the Bible, but my favorite is Peter. This is the guy who betrayed Jesus. For the rest of his life, he could have thought of himself in these terms. Traitor. Coward. Defector. His whole life could have been dark and depressing and disparaging. But the same guy who betrayed Jesus, his mentor, his close friend, he betrayed the one who gave his life for him, describes who he was after being forgiven, and describes who we are after we've been forgiven. And here's what he wrote in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen to what he says. He says, once you were, keep that in mind, there is a point when you once were something and then you become something else. It's the point of receiving salvation. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. If Peter can realize his new identity and find the joy and calling in his life, don't you think he can do that for you? So what are some of those terms? We're just going to quickly run down four of those terms and understand who we are in Christ. The first one is this, you are God's child. If you're saved, you are a child of God. Let me say that again. If you are saved, you are a child of God. Do not be confused. There's lots of talk out there that if you were on planet Earth and human, you were a child of God. You are not a child of God until you become a Christian, until you've been adopted by the Father. For all you who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, or Daddy, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. God was very purposeful in choosing you. Let me say that again. God was very purposeful in choosing you. I don't know how he makes those decisions, but somehow he does. Here's what I want you to capture, how deeply he loves you as his child. He chose you. If you would, just go in your mind to a stadium that seats 50,000 people. Now imagine in each one of those seats, there's a child who is parentless, longing to be adopted. 
Jesus is making his way through the stadium, and he stops at every seat, and he's going to choose one child on this day. You watch him for hours as he goes from one person to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And he continues to pass up folks that it's not their time. When he comes to you, he pauses. A huge smile comes across his face. He gathers you up in his arms and hugs you tightly and says, I choose you. Today you will be my child. Is that beautiful or what? That out of the whole world, on a given day, he chose you. And I want you to realize this fact. You as an adopted child are a blood relative. Let me say that again. You as an adopted child are a blood relative. I'd like for you to see an image if I could see it here on the screen real quick. Uh, this is my son and daughter-in-law and their three children. In case you hadn't figured it out, two of their, all three of their children are adopted. Did you notice this? My son was at a grocery store and a lady he got in a conversation with said something to him. It's a good thing Papaw wasn't there because it would have been a bad moment. I don't know if it was in her ignorance or in her prejudice. She said, are you ever going to have any real children? I can't imagine what that did to my granddaughter. But those children are fully adopted by my children. Go to that next slide. It's a lot more better slide. This is the moment in time when they sign the adoption papers on their second child. Her name is Felicity. Would you say that, please? means nothing to you, but I love to hear you say it. <laughs> They're there with the judge, and he has a process he goes through, and he makes some statements to them, and here's what he said to them that day. The child's name will legally be changed to Felicity Hope Howerton. You understand that henceforth she will have the right to inheritance from you. You accept responsibility for her physically, financially, emotionally, spiritually in every way. Well, brothers and sisters, when you were adopted, God the judge declared, the names of the children who were previously called not my people will legally be changed to son of a living God. That's Hosea 1. You understand that henceforth they will have the right to inherit everything that is yours. That's Matthew 5, 5. You will accept responsibility for all of them in every way. That's Matthew 6, 30. Listen, if you're a Christian, Jesus chose you, and you are a full-fledged child of the Almighty God. You are His. You are not anything less than a child of God. Secondly, you are God's priest. The passage says you are a royal priesthood. Say it again. You are a royal priesthood. God is in an intimate relationship with you, although you may not have chosen to engage in it yet. He is in an intimate relationship with you. So here's what the deal is. Because of the Jewish sacrificial system, once a year, the high priest and the high priest only could go beyond the curtain into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was symbolically in place. This person, this one person could go and be intimately in relationship with God on behalf of all of the people. The Old Testament, if you want to look at it, you could kind of, relationship with God could best be described as holy. God set apart. But we get to the New Testament. And Jesus comes. And the passage says he dwelt among us. 
a close, intimate relationship. But that wasn't possible for us in relationship to Jesus on planet earth because we weren't there then and then he went on to be to heaven in heaven after his ascension so do we still have that kind of intimacy for sure in fact Jesus died so you could we find on the cross that Jesus in his last moments of life cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit and behold the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split symbolically God did a miraculous thing by ripping that curtain in half and saying from now on any of those people who are my children can come into my presence he made it possible for us to be close to him you are a royal priesthood you're part of the king's family and his inner circle when you became a Christian the king of kings placed a crown on your head and made you part of his royal family he's preparing a room for you in his heavenly palace and someday you'll sit at his banquet table with God the father God the son God the holy spirit and enjoy conversation with the trinity and the beauty of that is this you can do that right now you are a royal priesthood then thirdly you're God's ambassador. 2 Corinthians 5.20 tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador does? An ambassador represents a king and his country in a different culture for a specified period of time. And you're saying to yourself, well, what country am I called to be an ambassador in? One of the great confusions, I've heard people say statements like this. When you became a Christian or a follower of Christ, he built a bridge and transported you into to a whole new world. That's not true. That's not true at all. When you became a follower of Christ, you became his representative in the world you're already living in. That's who you are. No leader would choose a loser to be his ambassador. Let me say that again. No leader, no king, would choose a loser to be their ambassador. God specifically chose you, folks. You're a winner. In ancient times, ambassadors held the highest political rank they could make decisions for the king. These persons were amazingly respected and revered solely because he shared the identity of the one who sent him. Did you hear that? You share the identity of the king of kings and the lord of lords. We're to love as he loves. He transformed us into his being to be like him as best we can be while on planet earth. You reflect the heavenly father as best you can and so you are his ambassador. You have authority and power in his name. Listen. Because God chose you to be his ambassador, you can be certain that you are a special person with special abilities that were given you by the king so that you could represent him well. If you to this day have thought to yourself, I have nothing to offer, realize this. That whisper is not coming from God, it's coming from the enemy. Every one of us were given spiritual gifts the moment we came to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And when you begin exercising those on behalf of Jesus Christ, you'll realize your full potential in Jesus Christ. And it will bring you fulfillment beyond comprehension. Then fourthly, you're God's slave. Now that doesn't sound real positive, does it? <laughs> you're God's slave? When Paul, Timothy, and James introduced themselves to churches, they often chose the title slave or bond servant. Listen closely. Don't lose me now if you're concerned about this term. The original language, the term was doulos, and it literally means 
A slave who is willingly bound to another, who is willingly bound to another. You see, our slavery, the way that it was exercised in the United States, is quite different than the way it was exercised in early Jewish communities. You see, in that system, if someone got behind on a debt, they could willingly say to the person they were indebted to, this kept their family from going hungry, I will be a servant or a slave of yours. At the point that the debt was paid off, they had an option. Uh, They could choose to continue to be with that person as their master, realizing life is better with the master than without the master. Or they could step aside from the slavery that they had been engaged in. You know why they wanted to stick around sometimes? Because the master of the slave treated the slaves like they treated their families. They were literally family members. And so what we're finding out here is this. We're finding out that God's called us to sometimes be a slave to the one who will make our life better, not worse. If we are a slave of Jesus Christ, we are willingly, under his watch care, under his guidance, doing his bidding because life with the master is better than life without the master. Is that beautiful or what? That's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, if you're like me, you ask the question. So I realize that these are four. There's a longer list, but I'm giving you four this morning. So this is the character that I am supposed to live out. Now, is this a role I play? Is this like a drama I'm in and I kind of act like these people? Or is this something that should be natural to me? And my response is it should be natural once you're aware of who you are in Christ. Because here's the deal. The deal is you are not what you once were. You are not what you once were. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Capture those two words. We're going to break them down in just a moment. You are a new creation. The old person has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old has passed away. The new has come. If you are truly a Christian, if you truly did receive Christ in your life, you are not the creation you once were. You are a new creation. It's the equivalent in this moment. It's, an, it's the equivalent to an act of creation. So let's go back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1 says what? The earth was without form and void. And what did God do? God spoke and things came into existence. They were things that had never existed before. So let's look at the four stages of creation when Jesus spoke something into existence. First, there's the announcement. And God said. Then there's the commandment. Let there be. Then there's the report. And it was so. And then there's the the evaluation. And it was good. God spoke. Something came into being, and it was good. Listen, you are not who you once were because you are not what you once were because the same term that we look at, when it, the same idea that we look at when it speaks of creating in Genesis is the same idea that is uh, stated in Scripture when it speaks of you being created in Christ. When you were created in Christ, when you became a follower of Jesus Christ, you became a new creation having never been seen on planet Earth before. You are not who you once were, because you are not what you once were. So this, these actions I'm talking about should be fairly natural. I have mentioned to you, I think, my personal journey that saved at a given time, moment in time, radically transformed, kind of went back to my old ways, and it was very discontenting. 
Because I did start asking those hard questions. Was I really saved? Did something really happen in my life? Now, I want to go back to that moment before I started having those doubts, come back to the moment of being saved, and three days later. I had a gift, but it wasn't spiritual before becoming a Christian. I would, listen, I was a Southern Baptist pastor's kid for the first time, free with no one looking over my shoulder when I went to college. I want to tell you, that's freeing and dangerous. There's no deacons asking, is he acting like a good boy? Uh, there's no people saying, your son's not you know, matching up. Uh, so, man, I went, I went wild. Um, there was a specific word that I was very capable of stating about every other sentence, and it started with an F, but we'll not describe that this morning. And I will not forget about three days after receiving Christ into my life, waking up and thinking to myself, you haven't cursed in three days. Hadn't even thought about it. Hadn't even tried to stop doing it. Something in me had transformed. Luke 6, 45 says this, The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. My heart was no longer full of sinful, nasty thoughts. Because I was not who I once was, because I was not what I once was. You were recreated the moment you came to Christ. You were a new creation. In order for you to live the way I've been describing, you need to understand this huge fact You've got to be God's possession. Let me say that again. You've got to be God's possession. If we come back to that 1 Peter 2 passage, what it says is we are a people for his own possession. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We are not our own. We are his possession. We are owned by him. Did you notice that all of those roles that I mentioned, those four roles, child, priest, ambassador, and slave, did you notice that every one of those are subservient roles? child falls under the authority of his parent. A priest falls under the authority of God. The ambassador falls under the authority of the king. And a slave falls under the authority of his master. Every one of those are subservient roles. In order for us to live life the way that I've tried to describe to you this morning and to embrace our new identity, we have to say to ourselves, God, I'm your man. Or God, I'm your woman. Have you ever wondered why we pray or teach our children to pray with their hands like this? You've seen this, I think, surely. You've seen people pray like this. Uh, did you know uh, prior to Middle Ages, most people prayed like this, with their hands in the air? But in the Middle Ages, a real interesting thing happened. Kings would have their subjects come before them and declare their um, willingness to be led by the king. And the king would be up on his throne, and the subjects would come and kneel before the king, and they'd have their hands like this. The king would then put his hands on either side of their left and right hand. And at that point, they were to declare their undying willingness to fall under that king's authority. And they would say something like this. I belong to you, and whatever you need for me, I'll do that. If you need me to fight for you, I'll fight for you. If you need for me to die for you, I'll die for you. I'm your man or I'm your woman. Christians at the time began to realize that they have a king that's sitting on the heavenly throne who died on a cross for them. They said, wait a minute. We have this king in heaven who is seated on the ultimate throne and he deserves our loyalty and obedience far more than any earthly king. We've been bought at a price, the price of his own blood. We are not our own. We belong to the king of kings and the lords of lords. 
by getting on their knees, praying like this. Every time they went to their knees and prayed in this posture, they were saying, Jesus, I'm your man. I'm not my own. You purchased me with your blood. Whatever you need from me, even if it means dying, I'm your man or I'm your woman. So when will we be able to live out this new creation we become? When we bow before our king and in submission say, I'm your man, I'm your woman. Whatever you need from me, I'll do it, even if it means dying for you. We are his possession. Before I finish this morning, I want to say something to you. I want to be very careful not to mislead you. I'm actually turning a pretty quick corner here. It's unusual to come to the end of a sermon and do that, but I'm very concerned that some of you will think that my sermon this morning is to help you with your self-esteem. Let me say something to you. Nothing in the Bible speaks of our self-esteem. Because when we work toward greater self-esteem, it seems we find ourselves esteeming ourselves greatly. But we were created to minimize ourselves and to magnify the Lord. To make Jesus famous, to celebrate Him, to extol Him. I think John the Baptist said it rightly when he said, He, Jesus, must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. That's what we need to embrace. And when we do that, we needn't worry about our self-esteem because God gives us something so much more, something greater, something so much more emotionally substantial. He gives us a perfect Father's care, a perfect Father's personal blessing, and a perfect Father's eternal security. And when you embrace that, you no longer think about your self-esteem because you're thinking about pleasing and loving your Father, and He in return makes you whole emotionally, physically, and spiritually. That's what God wants to do, is make us whole. And if we embrace the identity He's given us, let ourselves be His possession and serve Him, we will find out that the darkness oftentimes rises and the light shows up brighter than it ever has before. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these brothers and sisters and I thank you for your word that reminds us of all you have done and are willing to do for us. Father, I pray that you will help us to be willing to say to you this morning, I'm yours, I'm your man. Or I'm yours, I'm your woman to embrace the identity that you gave us at the moment we become, became your children and to hold firmly to it at all costs, no matter what anyone else says, no matter what others have said to us in the past, but to embrace that. This morning, don't look up, please, just as you're there in your seat. Some of you all this morning are realizing, I, I, have, uh, I have, have held on to the old tape that the enemy's been playing in my life. I believe myself to be a loser. I believe myself to be a lost person as opposed to others who have found their way and got this great job and this great... I am being, have been beaten down by the enemy's um, tape playing over and over in my head again. If you're that person, I just want you to raise your hand because this morning I'm going to pray and pray that God will deliver you and set you free. Just raise your hand if you're in that space. Don't be hesitant. Raise your hand if you're in that space. Yeah. Father, I want to pray for these folks that you will set them free this morning. Your Holy Spirit will bring a, a new heart to them, a heart that they've already had, but that they'll understand it and hold to it. In your name, amen. If you just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just a few more seconds. For some of you all this morning, I've described this over and again, this relationship with this Jesus. What that means is that 
those of us who are followers of Christ came to a point in time when we realized that we needed to be forgiven our sins. And we asked Christ to forgive us, and he did. In essence, the term we use around here is we were saved. We were saved from eternal separation from God. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, died resurrected from the dead, and you're willing to walk away from those actions and activities as best you can, although you'll not be perfect, and live your life for Christ as best you can, you can be saved this morning if you simply ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Again, believing Him to be the Son of God, that He resurrected from the dead, you can be saved this morning, and you can turn from that world of uh, oddity and darkness into the light of His love. I'm going to lead a prayer right now. And if you want to make that decision this morning, just repeat after me if you fully and honestly believe the things I've just mentioned. In your mind, just pray after me, Father, I realize I'm a sinner. I know you can save me. Please forgive me for my sins. I believe Jesus is the Son of God, died, resurrected from the dead. And I will live my life for Him from this point on as best I can. Amen. If you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, if you prayed that prayer, would you lift your hand so that I can see that hand and be praying for you? Yes, I see you. Just lift your hand up if you prayed that prayer. Yeah, thank you. You can lift your heads now and stand with me if you would. We're going to sing what we call a hymn of invitation. This is your invitation to maybe come to the altar and pray for yourself or others. It's a chance for you to come speak to me if you'd like to talk about a personal need that you'd like prayed for. Or if you just prayed the prayer I just mentioned, please come see me. Just as soon as you hear this song start, come see me because I want to talk to you about your next step.